0: About Wednesday, this Wednesday, we will continue our Wednesday night Bible study, and it was very, 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 very good last week. How many of you guys enjoyed the Bible study last week? We're going to continue this week, and it will again be in the youth sanctuary, so come early so you can get a good seat. It was packed out last time. It's going to be good. All right. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. And Lord, we just thank you that we can have fun with you, that we can truly rejoice because of what you've done. We can truly live in peace and and have real joy, not just temporary happiness, but real joy when we have a relationship with you. So, Lord, we open up our hearts and our ears. We ask you to speak to us. And again, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for what you are doing this morning in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 1. Oh, yeah, I forgot I got to do this. I don't have my new glasses yet. All right. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure most of you know the scene, the setting here. Jesus had been crucified. He was falsely accused, tried, and killed, crucified on Friday. And then Sunday they come, and they're going to do some ceremonial preparation and do some stuff. And so they expect to see Jesus there, but they come. The tomb's rolled away. And they did not find Jesus or his body. Verse 4, And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Anybody ever heard that story before? Sunday morning, Jesus was raised. They were surprised because he wasn't there. They'd forgotten about what he said or really didn't understand what he said. And found out that the tomb was empty. And that's why we are here today is because that tomb was empty. Do you realize if that tomb was still full, we wouldn't be here? Today, I was talking to my youngest son on the way here and I was asking, him. I said, do you know the importance of today? He said, yeah, today's Easter. And I said, what's that about? And he was saying, you know, Jesus was crucified and, and he was raised from the dead. And I said, why is it important that he was raised from the dead? I don't know. And I said, because if he hadn't been raised from the dead, then he would have been proved a liar. See, because Jesus said, kill me, and I'll be back three days later. He said, I am God. I'm the son of God. I'm the way to God. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said all these things, and he said to prove this, kill me, and watch what happens three days later. They killed him, and three days later, the tomb was empty. He was gone. He's raised. If he had still been there, he would have been proved to be a liar. And you know, there's one fact that I want you to leave with. Remember, one of my favorite facts or statistics, there is more evidence pertaining to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other historical event. There is more evidence pertaining to the resurrection, not the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other historical event. Do you catch that? catch the significance of that there's all kinds of cool facts and proof and and there's great books there's a book out there called The Resurrection Factor I don't think they sell anymore but you can probably find it on Amazon for a penny but then pay $50 for shipping but if you liked uh, apologetics and things like that I would encourage you to get that book evidence that demands a verdict and just things like that but there has been all kinds of proof that Jesus was actually raised on the third day, that he's still not there. And I've been to Jerusalem, and I, I was able to visit the tomb where Jesus was, uh, was buried and, and no longer there. And they're right, it's empty. But you know, on this day, we're supposed to talk about the resurrection because that's what Easter Sunday, that's what Resurrection Sunday is all about, Right? But a question I have for you is, okay, that's something that happened about two years ago. Excuse me, two years ago. (laughs) Newsflash. Jesus was raised two years ago. About 2,000 years ago. And some may say, okay, that's cool, but what's that got to do with me? 2,000 years ago, I wasn't even on this planet yet. So what's that got to do with me? And that's a good question. I think the same thing. So him dying and raising up 2,000 years ago, what does that have to do with me? And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to share how that event that happened that long ago has impacted my life and made a change in me. I want to share my testimony, how I came to encounter this man that is no longer dead. I grew up in Lawton, Oklahoma. Um, I went to church because I had to. My mom put me on the bus and sent me to church. Notice she didn't go with me but she sent me to church and I was okay with that because they had donuts waiting for me on the bus. And I was really okay with that on the first or the fifth Sunday. No, it was fifth, this fifth Sunday, every fifth Sunday was really cool because on the way home on the bus, you got McDonald's cheeseburgers. So I was, I was pretty excited about McDonald's cheeseburgers and donuts. So anyway, my mom sent me to church. Um, I went, don't remember anything. And, You know, growing up, my parents were divorced when I was 11. And so I was raised by a single mom, me and my brother. And um, I was a pretty good kid. I didn't cause a lot of problems like some of you knuckleheads out there. You know, I was a pretty good kid. I I didn't, even though statistically and, and sociologists, let's see, back up. What's that word? Thank you. That word he just said? I should have gotten in trouble. I should have done the stupid things, you know, the drugs and the gang, you know, all that kind of stuff. I could have gotten into that, but for some reason I didn't praise God for that. Even though I wasn't a believer, I wasn't a Christian. Somehow he kept me out of that stuff and I praise him for that. So I was a pretty good kid. And, um, I remember one time going to church on a weekend, a retreat when I was 16, had a great time, played lots of games I was excited about meeting new dames, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I remember one day, the next day, the youth pastor said, uh, he said something real scary. He said, he said some things. I don't remember what he said. But then he said, if you're not born again, when you die, you're going to hell. I'm like, whoa. And then I don't remember else what he said, but I remember, if you want to get, get saved, raise your hand. Boy, my hand went up because I didn't want to go to hell, you know, that kind of thing. So I prayed the prayer, repeated what he said. Don't know what I was saying, but I repeated it because I didn't want to go to hell. And so I prayed the prayer. And then I know, you know, for a couple of weeks, everything was good. I was peaceful, had, you know, I was excited. But I wasn't taught how to walk with God. I wasn't taught how to have a relationship with God. And so a couple of about a month later, I was back doing the things I was doing before. Living my own life. Not honoring, not following God. So I get a little bit older, uh, graduate from high school. And I remember, as I was gra- before I graduated, in my math class, the, prof- the teacher had a poster on the board. And the poster had the highest paid salaries out of college. Highest paid salaries out of college. And it had a list of professions and it had their salaries. And the very top one was engineer. Now, you would think doctor and you think some of these other ones. Now, doctors eventually make the most money, but starting out of college, they don't, according to this poster. Now, this was back in a few years ago. So I don't know how the statistics stand now, but anyway Engineer was on the top of the list and I said that's what I want to be when I grow up I want to be an engineer because they make the most money see Money was my little G. It was my God It was what I was living for That's all I wanted and I figured out money is the most important thing I didn't have a lot of it growing up So I figured I was going to get a lot of it But I wanted to do it in a legitimate way because I wanted to enjoy spending it I don't want to be in prison You know what I'm saying? I mean, it makes sense. So I wanted to legitimately make a lot of money. So I decided I was going to be an engineer. I was a pretty good student in school, got academic scholarships to be an engineering school. And that's when I met Arthur, Arthur Webb. Remember that, Arthur, back in a a few years ago? (laughs) Back in 1984, you realize it's going to be 30 years this summer? 1984, I came to Oklahoma State and got to meet Arthur Webb. And it came on a on a Council of Partners Academic Program and going to be an engineer, all that good stuff. So anyway, so I'm cruising along, enjoying college, having a good time, and then things begin to change. All of a sudden, I started having fear, started entering in my soul, and I would lay lay in bed at night and I couldn't sleep, be tossing back and forth, and I'm thinking, man, what's what happens if I die? Man, what? Why am I here? You know, these kind of questions were really Rolling around in my head and I couldn't I couldn't shake him. I couldn't sleep. It was hard to sleep So anyway, so all these questions were rolling around in my head, but then I remember uh, Meeting a real neat guy. I was a freshman in college and I met this guy named John Coleman He was a senior president of his fraternity uh, real neat guy Just you know how you hear when they talk about people you say man that guy he just glowed You ever hear people talked about like that. Well, this guy literally kind of did I mean, he just—there was something about him, his countenance—that he just seemed to glow. And you remember John Coleman, uh, Gordon. Well, anyway, so John Coleman began to invite me to church. He Say, hey, CJ, won't you come to church with me? And I began to become the master of excuses. I said, Nah, I can't. I'm busy Sunday. Oh, what are you doing? Uh, I don't know. I'm doing sleeping, you know. So he kept inviting me and I kept being able to dodge him and and that kind of thing. Well, then one day he finally, he said, how about, will you go to church with me this Sunday? And I realized this guy's not going to leave me alone until I say yes. And so I said, okay, I'll go with you this Sunday. Of course, I really didn't have any intentions of going. I thought that'll buy me some time. And anyway, so Sunday morning is about, about 12 minutes till 10. Church started at 10. He's pounding on my door, trying to get me up. And he said, CJ, get up. It's time for church. And I thought, I'll just be quiet. The door's locked. I'm safe. Nobody's here. Well, then my roommate, who was not a church school, was not a Christian, betrayed me and got up and unlocked the door and let John in. I'm like, dude, you of all people. So anyway, so John comes in, and then of course he begins to shake me. Come on, CJ, get up! Come on! I said, What time is it? He said, Oh, it's about a quarter till ten. I said, It's too late. I'll go with you next week. I don't have time. And he says, No, get up! He was shaking, literally shaking me. Wouldn't leave me alone. You know, come on, get up! Get up! Get up! I said, No, no, next time. And so finally, I realized I'm not going to get any sleep. So I got up. I said, Man, I don't have time to take a shower. He said, Don't worry about that. So at least I got to brush my teeth and run to church. And actually, another friend of mine uh, named Lewin. You remember Lewin? Lewin O'Brien was a good, he was my best friend at the time. Uh, you remember Lewin, don't you, Leah? Well, he came to church with us too. And so we go to church, and it's, anybody know where Bennett Chapel is? That's the place. Bennett Chapel, Woohoo! yeah. So we go to Bennett Chapel, and it was a small church called Maranatha Campus Ministries, about 25-ish people, and that's what dogs, cats, and, and pets, and everybody. I'm mean, a real small congregation. But one thing I noticed about the church, um, everybody there seemed to be happy they were there. That caught my attention. Because, see, when I grew up going to church, the only thing I was happy about were the, were the donuts and the, and the cheeseburgers. And that was on the bus because once I got to church, I wasn't too excited about being there. And unfortunately, nobody else seemed too excited about being there either. As if there, you know, with the scowls and everything, it's like if you smile, that was a sin, so stop it and repent. It's like, man, you know, so everybody, you know, oh, we're happy in Jesus. You know, this, just that—that's kind of what I grew up with. Well, in this church, I walked in. Everybody was happy. They were, and they were actually happy to see me. I was getting hugged and everything. It's like, man, this is pretty cool. I like this. The music started. It was lively. It was upbeat. People were clapping their hands and raising their hands and doing all kinds of stuff that I didn't know you were allowed to do in church. But what got my attention is they seemed content. They seemed pretty happy. It's like, hmm, this is pretty interesting. But the main thing, I have to be honest with you, and those of you who are college students or have been college students, I'm sure you can relate to what I'm about to say. My number one concern with being there at church, my number one concern was getting back in time to Bennett Hall for lunch because that was the last meal of the day and I wasn't going to get to eat again until Monday morning. Now you realize how important that was. So it's like, the doors close at 1 o'clock. So as long as we get there by even 1259, we're good. So anyway, so church goes on. I don't remember what the pastor was saying. I didn't really care. I was thinking about 1 o'clock being in the cafeteria. He shared, he preached. And then afterwards, Lewin, my friend, responds to the altar call. The pastor says, who wants to give their lives to Jesus? I'm like, everybody, just be hot, be quiet, be still so we can get this thing over with so I can get back to the dorm. That's what I was thinking. And then my friend gets up and goes forward. I'm like, are you kidding me, Lewin? can we do this another time? We can call the pastor later and settle this deal. So Lewin goes up, and it's probably about 1230, 1240-ish. And I'm getting a little nervous, and Lewin goes up, and I'm like, okay. I'm in the back kind of pacing back and forth, you know, talking to people and everything, and please, Lewin, hurry up. But well, then the pastor leaves Lewin, and he comes and talks to me. He says, CJ, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And I'm like, sure, a few minutes few minutes. So we sit down, and I don't remember anything else he said, but I remember these words. He said, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ 100%? And he said, not 99%, not 995 but are you ready to give your life to Jesus 100%? And when he asked me that question, all of a sudden I had a flashback, kind of like you see in the movies. You know how you're in one scene, and all of a sudden you jump back to another scene, And I jumped back to a scene of me laying in bed at night, tossing and turning, not being able to sleep with those tormenting thoughts, being afraid of dying and what's life about and why am I here, all those questions. I I had a flashback to that and a voice said, he's the answer. In other words, when he said, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus? Something said, he is the answer to all those questions that you had. And when I realized that, I said, yes, I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus 100%. And he led me in prayer. I gave my life to the Lord. And see, I was giving my life to him 100%. Because that's what I was asked. That's all I knew. That was the commitment that was required. And that's what I was endeavoring to do. So I prayed and Everything changed. And it's so interesting because even though I didn't do all the social ills, you know, the the things that society say is sin, I had committed plenty of sins that the Bible calls sin. I was doing my own thing, going my own way. I realized at that point in time that I was just as deserving of hell and judgment as the person who had murdered people as a person as the most notorious drug dealer. I realized the conviction of God came on me and I realized I'm guilty, I ju- deserve judgment, and Jesus has paid the price so I can be cleared of all charges. And man, something happened inside. I mean, it was awesome. It was really awesome. And then the, the biggest miracle of all happened. I made it to the cafeteria in time. It was so cool because I, I'd forgotten about it for a second and all of a sudden I came to after I prayed and everything. It's like, Oh my goodness. What time is it? It was like four minutes till, till one. And I'm like, John, man, we got to get back. And he gets us back. I don't know how many laws he broke or anything, but we got back and it was so cool because right when we, we run into Bennett and the cafeteria, there's a door, they were, it was closing shut and we slipped right in. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. Well, anyway, so this pastor, uh, Don Averitt, uh this pastor, which was really cool, he began to, um, he said, hey, CJ, how about I come to your dorm and we do a Bible study together? I'm like, are you kidding me? The pastor of a church? You want to come to my dorm, my stinky dorm room, and do a Bible study? And he came week after week after week and met with Lewin and I. And did a Bible study with us. And we began to grow in in Christ and learn and, and get stronger in him. And I remember one thing he taught me was 1 Peter chapter 5. I believe it's around verse 6 or 8. It's in there somewhere. But it says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Cast all your cares upon him because he, talking about God, cares for you. And see, that became very important to me because I was under the impression growing up that the only thing God cared about the only things God cared about was you going to church on Sunday and Wednesday if you're a really strong Christian. Going to church, doing the best you can. That's what He really cared about because He was too busy to be concerned about anything else. So you didn't bother God with your life issues. You just hung in there and did the best you could. That was my belief system. And then all of a sudden this pastor shares this verse with me where it says, cast all your cares because God cares for you. I'm like, what? Are you serious? God cares. God cares. Begin to take that to heart. Now, after I got saved, remember, my motivation was money. So that was the whole purpose of me wanting to be an engineer. So I was on academic scholarship, going to be an engineer. I could not stand it at all. At all. The classes were killer. They were boring. They were hard. Statics and strengths, differential equations, um, thermodynamics. Now, if you're an engineer, I'm sorry if I'm offending you. I praise God for you engineers and you people like that. I ain't one of those. And I realized that. <clears throat> but the cool thing was is God, he had me change my major because all of a sudden he, he gave me direction. This is what I want you to do. First, you need to change your major. And so I changed my major from uh, mechanical engineering to, um, to juvenile treatment and corrections, which was an, a sociology degree. So I went from a lot of money to, never mind. So anyway, so I changed majors. I'm excited because my passion turned from money to having a relationship with him and people. I just fell in love with people. I fell in love with God. It's like, man, you are awesome. That he realizing how personal he is, how much he cares for me. You know, this little speck on this planet Earth. Realize he cared for me, especially what the pastor was teaching me. Well, anyway, while I was still an engineer major, now I still had to finish out the semester, and actually, this was before I changed majors. So backing up a little bit, it was the end of the semester, and I had been I was taking um calculus two, and I believe it might have been for the second time. I can't remember. No, never mind. I was taking calculus two. And calculus two was killing me. It was eating my lunch, breakfast, and dinner. I was just I was struggling. I was failing the class. The thing was, I was on academic scholarship, which paid for my school. And if I didn't keep the grades up, I would lose the scholarship. And so I realized that I need to make a B in this class. No, I need to make, yes, a B in this class. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. This is Thursday night before the Friday final exam. Kind of went to the last minute before I cried. and And I remembered, God cares about everything. He cares about everything. And so I took God at his word, and I say, God... Your word says that you care about everything. I'm taking a test tomorrow, calculus two. And I begin to explain to God all the details because he didn't know, so I had to enlighten him. I said, God, I'm taking this class. I'm on academic scholarship, and I'm doing poorly in my classes because statics of strength was also eating my lunch, and so I was making bad grades. I really need your help. If I don't make a pretty much a hundred on the final, then I'm not gonna I'm gonna lose my scholarship and all this. So I'm explaining. I mean, I'm trying to leave out not leave out any details because he needs to hear it so he can help me out. I said, God, I need a B in this class. I need to be and I was moving into begging mode because I didn't know if he was hearing me. God, please, you know, the most pathetic, pitiful sound I could make. Please help me. And all of a sudden, I heard these words. I will give you a B. And it was so real. Now, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was so real that it shook me. I'm like, whoa. I mean, because it's like I heard it. You know what I mean by that? I heard it, but not with my ears, but I heard I felt it. And it was so real that I started screaming and shouting, yeah, I'm going to be. I was shouting and hollering and excited. Now, back in the 80s, this is Thursday night. This is Cosby night. This is Cosby night. Now, this is when the, when the, when the series was relevant. I mean, it was not live, but it was current. And our, our tradition in Bennett Hall was on Thursday night. We all met down at 7 o'clock in the, in the, the um, area to watch Cosby. And the place would be packed out. we watch Cosby and have a great time. So I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to get a B. And I'm on my way out the door. And the Lord is saying, where are you going? So you know where I'm going. You know all things. I'm going to watch Cosby. Now, this isn't a uh, dialogue that I'm actually having. So I'm going to watch Cosby. He says, but you need to study. said, no, you're going to give me a B. So what do I need to study? He says, you need to study. And I'm pretty upset now. And here's the dilemma. Not flunk, Cosby. I don't want to pray about it because I knew what the answer would have been. But I was pretty concerned. Well, anyway, so I was like, okay, okay. So I sat down. I took out my calculus book. Now, it was a comprehensive test, which meant everything from A to Z, from cover to cover, was included. Could be on the test. And one thing we were allowed to have is a cheat sheet. You're able to take a piece of notebook paper. And on both sides, front and back, you're able to write whatever you wanted to on that piece of paper and take it with you on the test. Anybody remember those cheat sheets? Well, I had done that, but apparently it wasn't doing me any good because I was still flunking. So anyway, I got my calculus book out, and I began to flip through the pages. Didn't know what I was doing. just. And I was flipping through the pages, and all of a sudden, I would hear this voice say, stop. Study that problem. I looked at the problem. Didn't know how to do the problem. I said, hey, I'm going to George. George Surratt was a friend of mine who was also taking the same class. He was taking calculus. See, he wasn't in my class, but he was taking the same class. And George was smart. And actually, George ended up becoming an engineer, uh, awesome engineer, and that kind of thing. But anyway, so I went to George's room. I said, hey, George, can you show me how to do this problem? He looked at it he said, sure. So he sat down He showed me how to do the problem. And these are the kind of problems that take up like a whole page. You know, those kinds of things. Double derivatives and all that garbage. Anyway, so I so I go back up to my room. I sit down. I'm flipping through the book. And, and all of a sudden, I hear this again. Stop. Study this problem. I look at the problem. I don't know how to do the problem. So I go back to George's room. I went to George's room eight times. Because there were eight problems that something told me to study. So eight times I went to George's room, and eight times George showed me how to do the problems. And so I ended up writing these problems down on my cheat sheet because we were allowed to write anything we wanted to. So I wrote these particular problems down, all eight of them, on my cheat sheet, and I happened to be able to fit them on like two squares on the whole paper because you know how you used to write microscopically? You needed a microfish to be able to read it. And so I had formulas and, and definitions and everything else filling up the whole paper. So anyway, I'm on my way, next morning, on my way to, uh, class, and I'm scared, and the, and the enemy, I'm hearing this voice, you're gonna flunk, you're gonna flunk, you're gonna flunk, you're gonna lose your scholarship, and I'm just hearing this, just pounding me. I'm like, no, God said he was gonna give me a B. God said he was gonna give me a B. God, so I'm, I'm just confessing this all the way to the, cl- all the way to class. I get to class, sit down, the professor hands out the, the test, and this is a two hour test. They're face down. He says, okay, you may begin. I turn my test over. And one thing he encouraged us to do, he says, when you when you look through the test, go to the problems that you know first and work on those first, and then go back to the ones that you don't know. Typically, I didn't know any of them, so it was just a blank piece of paper. But as I turned the paper over, the test over, I looked at it. I looked at my cheat sheet. There were eight problems on that test. The problems on the test were the same problems that were on my cheat sheet. Eight problems, the exact same problems on the test were on my cheat sheet. So you're thinking, wow, what were you doing at that moment? I was scared. I became terrified. Literally, I mean, terrified, I mean, you know, you get those chills, your hair stands up in places you don't even have hair, you know. (laughs) I was terrified, and here's why. Because I realized in that moment, here I am having a moment in Calculus 2 class, and I realized that the God, the creator of the universe, talked to me last night. How else am I gonna get all eight problems? If you're a mathematician, figure out the statistics on that. The probability of you getting exactly the same eight problems out of that book. And I became scared because I realized, oh, my goodness. Let me back up a little bit because I'm going to tell you something before this happened. I remember I was walking somewhere and I started having these thoughts. You know, if God is not real, then you're wasting your time. I thought, you know, because I was going to church, I was reading my Bible, I was at church anytime the doors were open, and it's like, you know what, if he is not real, this is a bunch of fairy tales, going to church is a waste of time, and the most important thing to do is get as much money as you can, because that's everything. Now, would you not agree with that? If God is not real, then money is it, right? And if God is not real, then we are wasting our time right now. And I was thinking, yeah, God's not real. And all of a sudden I started, yeah, God's not real. You know, I started following that thought, but then there was a, but, but if God is real, then doesn't he deserve all of you? These are the thoughts that were going through my mind. I was like, yeah, if he's real, Especially as the Bible portrays, then doesn't he deserve all of me? Okay, that was a flashback right before it led up to the test. And see what he was doing is he was setting me up. Now, I'd already give him, I'd already become a Christian. Remember a few weeks ago, I had given my life to Jesus 100%. But I think what he was doing was he was sealing the deal, so to speak. Because going back to that test, when I'm in that room and I realize that the God of the universe talked to me and gave me this test, I begin to freak out inside. All I want to do is lay on the floor and burn some incense candles or something, and say, "Oh God, you're real. Oh God, you're real." I kept my composure somehow. I've I've started. I had the test memorized. I mean, because I'd worked on those eight problems so much. I mean, I just. It took me 15 minutes to get all that information onto that test. And so I finished the test, check it over twice. I'm getting up to go turn my test in. But I'm no dummy. And I realized, and I, I don't know if this is the Holy Spirit or not, or a comment said, I don't know what this was, but it's like, hold on a second. So I sat there, and I pretended like I was taking a test for about 15, 20, 30 more minutes. And I waited until other people turned their test in. Then I got up, slipped in with the crowd, and turned my test in. And I'm thinking, if I would have turned a two-hour test in in 15 minutes, what would that look like? Exactly. And here's something I did that I regret. I wish I hadn't done this, but maybe I needed to. When I got outside, my cheat sheet, I tore it to shreds. You know why? I had to destroy the evidence. Now now think about this. I have this piece of paper, and the professor says, what's that? Oh, it's my my cheat sheet. Let me see that. Eight problems, cheat sheet, eight problems on the test. He says, you have the same problem. He had an accent. You have the same problems on test as you have on cheat sheet. How do you explain that? What would my answer have been? God gave it to me. Thank you, Jesus. So I knew that that was not going down that way, so I destroyed the evidence. <laughs> destroyed the evidence. I wish I wouldn't have. So anyway, so I remember that he said, if you want to come back Monday, you can find out what you made. You know that instead of waiting until your grades get mailed to you. So we wouldn't have email and stuff back in the day. We had snail mail. They would mail your grades to you. And so anyway, I, waited, I went Monday, and I went to the class. And, of course, there was people standing in line waiting to find out what they made on their test and of course the enemy again you flunked you flunked you know how all of a sudden everything I'm delusional or something you flunked you flunked you're in trouble I'm like oh my goodness oh my I flunked I'm scared so anyway I go up there and he asks what does your name and I tell him Charles Ellis so I'm watching his count and I'm watching his face and he goes down the, the roll book he stops he looks over and all of a sudden his eyebrows like that I'm like i'm in trouble i'm in trouble and he goes i don't understand you do very poorly excuse my accent okay you do very poorly throughout course but you do very well on test he says you make i think i made like a 98 percent on a test he says you make a on test you make b in course so thank you very much I remember going back to my dorm room and I say, God, I do not get this. I do not get this. I make you give me the whole test. You took time out of your business and holding the stars in place. And you sit down and talk to me and show me every problem on the test. Say, I don't get this. And then he said this to me. He said, CJ, even though he knows my real name, he called me CJ. He said, CJ, I want you to know I care about every area of your life. He had me hook, line, and sinker. I was totally sold out. When I realized God cares about me enough that he's going to care about my test, and you know, the funny thing is that since that point, you would think, wow, you probably made straight as a 4.0. Heck no. I flunked many a test after that time. <laughs> I'm like, hey, where are you at? I remember one time, one of the most glorious failings I ever had. I'll tell you this real quick. I was taking thermodynamics. And it was also an eight problem test. He didn't talk to me tonight before about that one Anyway, I'm sitting there at that test And he, the professor, you know Start off with the problems that you know And skip, you know, do the ones you don't know later I knew zero problems on that test Zero, I didn't know any And so that means I got a zero on that test I didn't even wait for the graduates. I just know I did because there was nothing on the paper But the Lord began to speak to me He said, look up and look around And I began to look around and all these engineer students, and I was, I was just looking around, and I realized my fate was sealed. I was flunking this test. But see, I had already changed majors, and I just had to finish out this semester. So I knew I was moving on, but it's still gonna be a blemish on my, on my transcript, of course. But he said, look around. And I was looking around, and I saw all these students, there's probably about 200 students in this class taking this test. And he said, many of these students in here, this is their very life right here. This test is their life. He said this isn't your life he said i'm your life peace just came all over me because i realized school is important it's important to do the best you can in everything but you know 100 years actually what does i say 30 years from now 30 years from then is that failed test affecting my life now it might now because i'm thinking what you're the pastor and you failed that test And 100 years from now, even making an A on that one test, making an F on the other test, is that going to make a difference? 1,000 years from now? It's not going to make a difference. Now, it is important. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that school is not important. Us doing the best we can in life is important. But there is one thing that is ultimately important, and that is Jesus. Giving your life to him 100%. And that's what I did on that day, you know, back up when the pastor asked me, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus 100%? And I said, yes, I am. And then from that point on, God began to speak to me. The Bible says that as his children, we can hear his voice. <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily mean an audible voice, but because when a person is born again, the spirit of God comes and dwells within you, joins with your spirit. And so by his Holy Spirit, his spirit inside of you, he can communicate with you and you can actually hear him. Not necessarily with physical ears, but with spiritual ears. And he has told me a lot of things. For example, the test. Eight problems on that test. Many things after that. Even to this day, he tells me things, shares things with me. And it's like, this is awesome. Because this Jesus that died 2,000 years ago, guess what? He's still alive and active today. He wants to have a relationship with me and you today. He wants to get us off that course of destruction and death and sorrow and bitterness and... And all that junk. And he wants to put us on a course of life. He wants to adopt us into his family. You know, the cool thing is, Jesus didn't just die on the cross for our sins so we can be forgiven. That would have been cool. I mean, that would have been, I mean, that's the most important thing. He says, okay, because you put your faith in me, you're forgiven. It's all good. That would have been nice. But what else he did? Well, he says, not only are you forgiven, but you are Mine. I'm adopting you into my family. So God has become my daddy. He's taken on responsibility for my needs, my life. And he wants to do the same thing for you. He wants to take on full responsibility of your life. He wants to be in full relationship with you. I'm like, dude, are you serious? See, I didn't learn this growing up. I just learned, be good, be nice, do the best you can. Go to church on Sunday. And Wednesday, if you're really serious. But the Bible teaches a whole bunch more cool stuff. But it starts with commitment to him. It's not enough just to believe in him. Because the Bible says that the demons believe in him and they tremble. So just believing, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God. There are many people in hell that believe in God. Matter of fact, every person in hell now believes in God. They realize I was wrong. And they're going to be wrong forever and ever and ever. But he so loved me and he so loved you that he gave Jesus on that first Easter. Or prior to that Easter, he gave him to die a brutal death on a cross. And he was innocent, by the way. We are guilty, by the way. We deserve full wrath and judgment of God. If God were to be totally justified, we'd all be crispy critters. But thank God that not only is he just, but he's loving, he's holy, and he made a way for him to still be fully justified because someone had to take our punishment. And his name is Jesus. He took it for us so we wouldn't have to. So when we give our lives to him, when we say, Jesus, I believe in you, the Bible says, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, which means I surrender to you, Jesus, I give my allegiance to you. You are the boss. You call the shots from this point forward. The Bible says when we do that, we become what's called being born again being born into his family. That pastor asked me those questions, that one question that has changed my life forever. And I'm so glad that I said yes to Jesus. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up and join me. And what I want to do now is I want to give you the opportunity. I know there are some of you, that your heart is resonating with this story, with the fact that God cares about you. He cares about every part of your life. And some of you may be thinking, you know what, TJ, you didn't do a lot of bad stuff. So you you were pretty good anyway, but you have no idea the stuff that I've done. Maybe the people or the person that I've killed, the lives that I've destroyed, the drugs that I've dealt, the crimes that I've committed. And you know what? Jesus knows every single bit of it. And when he died and shed his blood, it was to cover every single sin that you've committed and that you're going to commit. He's got it all covered. All covered. So here we are at the point of decision. What is your choice going to be? When I ask you, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ 100%? What is your answer? What is your answer? He cares for you. He wants to walk in complete relationship with you. But he's not going to force himself upon you. He stands with his hand reached out and says, will you come? I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes and we're going to pray a prayer. And this prayer, there's nothing magical about it, but basically it's just an opportunity, an avenue for you to express your heart to him. And if you mean this prayer in your heart fully, and this may be the first time that you're praying this prayer or you're saying it again, saying, you know what? I was walking with God years ago. I turned and started going my own way, but today I'm coming back and committing myself to him 100%. and your life is about to change from this point forward. But I'm going to ask everyone to repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place so that I can be forgiven. I believe that Jesus died in my place and he was raised up on the third day. To prove that he was true. And I give my heart to you. And by your grace, I will follow you the rest of my days. Thank you for your forgiveness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm asking everyone to stand with me. And we're about to be finished. And I want to invite, he hasn't come stand up here, over here. If when you prayed that prayer, it was either your first time or you're saying, yes, Jesus, I'm coming to you 100%. I want to invite you to come up right now and just meet with and talk to one of these, these ministers up here. Right now. I want to give your life to Jesus right now. I invite you to come on up.